Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here, Mental Edge Training Coach. Today, I'll be talking to Lee Stevens. Lee Stevens was a first-round pick in 1986 with the Angels out of Kansas. Had an amazing career in the big leagues, played for a couple different teams. We're going to talk about his story, his career, how he got called up to the big leagues, his hitting philosophy as he was a hitting coach, and just kind of the mental part of the aspect of hitting and where he was able to also, after his playing career, he was diagnosed with some cancer and how he has battled through that and how baseball and the mental game help him get through that. So enjoy this conversation with Lee Stevens. All right, Lee Stevens, how are we doing, sir? I'm doing great. Awesome, thanks for coming on board. I, I kind of reached out to Lee, we are Facebook friends, we, we've never really formally met each other, just played against each other, um, been following some of your stuff on your Facebook page and uh, some of the life stuff that you've been going through. Uh, but we're going to get into kind of the, the struggle that or the what, what happened with the, the cancer sort of things here. But uh, I want to talk and go all the way back to what was Lee Stevens like? Because you grew up in Kansas, correct? Right, right. Right. So what was your whole like high school recruiting process like? Well, we didn't even have high school baseball until my senior year. So I played American Legion in the summer. Um, my junior my junior year in the summer, Legion Ball and Scouts would come out to watch a lot of our pitchers. He was a senior. Uh, left handed guy threw, you know, at the time he threw ninety miles an hour, which at the time was, you know, that was gas in high school. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they came out to watch him, you know, for a, a couple game series or whatever. And uh, I had a, a really great weekend swinging a bat, and I kind of like got on a map, so to speak. And then luckily, my senior year, we got high school baseball, so I got to play in the spring and right before the draft. So I kind of got out, got noticed, and then I got to play. They got to see me play in the spring in Kansas right before the draft, and then I get drafted. And thirty-five years later, you know, here I am. <laughs> it was a it was a really fast process i mean it yeah was like it was like boom 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 next thing you know i'm drafted and you know and i'm gone playing for 17 years okay now did you um so were you drafted out of high school or did you end up going to college first no i drafted out of high school yeah i was gonna go to the university of arkansas but uh the angels drafted me in the first round and um it was kind of a no-brainer 1986 so yeah, yeah I, took, I took off yeah you took off yeah so what you're a big dude what was your size coming out of high school well I graduated uh the height I am now is 6'4 200 pounds coming out of high school so uh, you know I wasn't a huge guy by any means but uh you know 6'4 200 I was pretty athletic played basketball and you know, baseball obviously so that's that's where I started yeah okay so you, you're playing different sports obviously cold in Kansas right can't play baseball year-round Right. right. So growing, it, growing up, growing up, I played hockey. I played hockey in the winter and I played baseball in the summer. Um, I was, that was when I was in the Kansas City area. And then we moved to Lawrence, Kansas, which didn't have hockey. So I picked up a basketball. I played that in the winter, which led right into baseball. So that was my conditioning. And I liked basketball. So I played basketball and then uh, went into baseball and playing. Outstanding. Now, you, you, you mainly played first base in the big leagues, correct? Yeah. Did you ever did you ever pitch growing up or play even play in the outfield as a lefty? Yeah, I, yeah, I played the outfield. You know, in high school I played center field, um, and then I pitched a little bit in high school. I I didn't want to hurt my arm. I wasn't mm -hmm. a, a good pitcher by any means, so I just you know I I, I kind of closed a little bit maybe my senior year. But okay, but, 
it wasn't something that interests me and I didn't want to do something and hurt my arm or whatnot. So, but I played the outfield and then after I got drafted, I played, I played a lot of outfield in my league. Uh, when I got drafted by the Angels, Wally Joyner was there first. So, yeah, uh, they, they tried making me more of a, you know, more of an outfielder and see what happened. Uh, and then I kind of ended up playing my way back into first base. Okay. But, uh, that was my natural position and my best position. So, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of at the height of like Wally World. Yeah, it right? was. It was. Yeah, he was. He was big there, and, and yeah, for for good reason. He was, he was yeah. a little player. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got to spend, and meet Wally Joyner. When I first got married, I was living out in the Provo area. My wife was going to – she had gone to BYU. And so we got married, living in Las Vegas, going to Utah Provo area. I was like, well, it's freezing here. There's snow everywhere. And so we ended up working in a place called the Smith Fieldhouse at, at BYU. And Wally Joyner was – he lived in that area, and that's where he worked out of. And, and I got to meet him, and we got to hit a little bit. Right. And so at this point, he was on the very like tail end of his career. Um, but you're like, God, this guy's established himself. I'm like, Wally World, right? Late 80s, just crushing it everywhere. So what was that like for you? Um, you saw your first round pick by the Angels. That was in 86. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So 86. So what was the minor league system like for you? Because you're your first baseman. I'm sure you're probably thinking, OK, I'm going to have to hit. And I'm have to hit for power. What was your approach like going into that? You know, it was just I was just I just went to play. You know, what I mean, I, I wasn't looking at who was where. You know, I wasn't looking at you know Wally at first up there. And you know, baby, I was you know I think I was just kind of too stupid to really get into all that. I was just you know wherever they sent me, I just played. I just tried to do the best I could. It was kind of be a what what happens happens kind of deal. I wasn't like trying to take his job. I wasn't you know going yeah. for that job. I was just trying to get my feet on the ground as an 18-year-old kid coming out of high school, just, you know, get into pro ball, what is pro ball, and just try to go out there and perform. Um, it wasn't anything else on my mind trying to – I was just trying to get to the big leagues, whether it was or somebody. Just, you know, I was just trying to get to the big leagues. Yeah, which is a great approach, right? Because then you're not worried, concerned about what the guy ahead of you is doing. You're just focused on you. Yeah, I never – you know, and I saw that a lot when I, I, I coached for the Rockies for a while. You know, 13 mm-hmm. to 19 as my late hitting coach. And, you know, I dealt with that a lot with the players. They're, you know, obviously social media brings a lot of that in there, but they're, they're like, oh, well, this guy's going to double A and I'm going to A ball. You know, this guy's going to triple A and I'm double A. You know, and they're, they're really worried that they're tracking what those guys were doing ahead of them. Um, yeah. I didn't care what the first baseman was doing in double A when I was in A ball. You know what I mean? It didn't concern me what, whatever. I was just trying to do my job. I was just trying mm-hmm. to hit. Just, keep moving up, keep moving up. You know what I mean? So my concern was just, was literally just me and, and trying to be the best player that I could be at that time. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause you think about when you get eventually called up to the big leagues, like they're calling up you, right. It's, it's, it's an individual thing. Cause you've done some things on, on the field that like, yeah, right. we need this guy right at that point. And so what, when did you make your major league debut and what was that story like? It was uh, July of 1990. I was in uh, Triple A at the time with the Angels up in Edmonton. We were playing. Uh, we were in Portland, Portland, Oregon at the time. And Triple A manager just you know, called me one night after the game and said I was going up the next day. Wally, Wally got hurt. He had a knee issue or something like that. So he was going on a DL or whatever. And uh, uh, they called me up in the middle of July. And next thing I know, I'm going from Portland to Anaheim. They were at home, so I fly into Anaheim, and none of my equipment makes it. 
<laughs> so, I mean, I think I had my luggage, but for some reason, my baseball stuff didn't make it. So I used Wally's first baseman clothes, uh, borrowed some cleats to Mike Setters, and I used Dante Bichette's bat. For, <laughs> I got my I got my first three hits with Dante Bichette bat. It's kind of kind of cool thing. Yeah. He was, he was such a great player. And yeah. so, yeah, I didn't even have my stuff for my debut and didn't even get a hit with my own bat. So That's I, awesome. Kind of a, a funny story, but I didn't even have my stuff. So, but I just made the best of it. And it was it was very surreal. I mean, you know how the first time is. It's, just, it's the least nervous game you'll ever play because you're just in kind of awe and you're in surreal and your instincts just take over and you just go out and play. And mm-hmm. after, that, after that, you start getting nervous. You start thinking. Then you wake up the next day, you wake up, you're like, oh, I got to do this again. Oh, this is yeah. oh, So it, it goes downhill from there. That's right. But, yeah. So in the, so that was, was that with the uh, the Angels? Yep. That was with the, the Angels. Yep. That was with the Angels. And what year was that? That was 1990. 1990. Okay. So I'm thinking 1990 personally. So I think we're about 10 years apart, roughly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so 1990. And then you what's that like for you in regards to like you're a bit you're a left-handed hitter power hitter right you had wally joiner still there right was that a situation where you're like okay i'm just i'm gonna play occasionally maybe pinch hit against righties where were you at there well you know i ended up playing the rest of that year there um that that half season or whatever and i went back to my league you know the next year Wally came back healthy um in 91 and then I got a September call up in '91, and, and did pretty well. And then Wally and the Angels had some some contract differences or whatever. They couldn't get him signed to a deal, so mm-hmm. that's when I think they traded him. And then you know I got the job in '92. So again, I was just kind of on the back burner in my mind with it. I was just just trying to stay there in whatever capacity, just kind of you know, I was just kind of oblivious to, to what he was doing. It was just right. uh, taking care of myself a little bit. Yeah. That's, I think that's great advice, right? As we, we get too wrapped up in what other people are doing and we start maybe getting out of our game plan, if you will, right? right? And trying to do that. So, so now I have written down, you, you play with the angels, Rangers, Expos and Indians in the big leagues. Yeah. So I, now I, I believe I played against you uh, in the middle of your career. I think you might have either Expos and maybe the Rangers a little bit. Yeah, um, I think it was because that was late nineties with the Rangers and then two thousand, two thousand one and two with Montreal. So I think yeah. in Pittsburgh. Guys? In Pittsburgh at that time. Yeah. 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 So I think it was a little bit of spring training in there and then a little bit maybe in Montreal. Right. Yeah. Um, so you got to play like a one guy that just comes into mind immediately is like Vlad Guerrero. Right. right? Okay. Um, and you played again, probably Moises Alou, I'm sure, a lot of other guys. So what, what were some of the ideas or tips that, that any of those guys ever talk hitting with you? And what was maybe those conversations like? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, when I was younger, I was, I was really lucky because when I first came up with the Angels, there were a lot of older guys there. Mm-hmm. The Angels had a lot of older guys. You know, Gary Gaetti was there. Dave Winfield was there. Judy Brooks was there. Uh, Alan Davis. Um, so I didn't probably pick their brains as much as I should have. Um, but they kind of, you know, they, they tried to help me as much as they could. And then I, I go to the Rangers and, and I get to play with Will Clark. I get to play with Rafael Palmero mm-hmm. and sit and pick their brains, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and even even some pitchers. As I got older, I learned to pick brains of pitchers, too, on, on how they might pitch me, how they, you know, how they pitch lefties that are similar to me or whatever. Um, you know, and, Vlad, and Vladdy's 
you know, Vladdy wasn't like that guy that I really went to for advice. But people don't realize about Vladdy is he had a game plan when he was up there. He, they they kind of project him as this, you know, free swing, just swinging everything. Yeah. He really wasn't. He he had an idea what he wanted to do with this guy, and his his hand eye cut was just you know incredible, and he could hit pitches that weren't strikes, you know, for homers. Mm-hmm. But that guy had a game plan. He he really did, and. And you, as you know, as a player, as you get older and older, you get more into that game plan and get off your mechanics and get into a game plan on what the guy has and what he's trying to do to you and what your strengths are and all that. So it's just, you know, every year, you know, I was still learning my last year. So it's, it's not it's not a process where, okay, I got it, now it's done. So it's, it's a continual evolving thing to learn and, and, and get your game plan set. Yeah, you, you said something that stood out to me. Like as you got older, you you kept you worried less about the mechanical side of things because you're probably already pretty solidified there. Like I'm good. Like I my swing's tight. I feel comfortable. I'm confident. Maybe adjustments here and there. Right? Well, I did. I didn't until I went to Japan. So okay. I went to so my last year, '92 with the Angels. Uh, I got the job when Wally got traded, and and I was just awful. I had a terrible year. Uh, they Traded me to Montreal actually that year, and I went to spring training and got released. And then I ended up going to Syracuse, New York, uh, and playing Triple uh, A with the Blue Jays. Had a very subpar in Triple A. It's kind of at the low port part of my career, and then Japan happened. So I go to Japan, and I was forced into a situation where I had to figure it out on my own, or I was going to be done. You know, and back here, back in the states, the prior years, you know, I was listening to everybody. You know, what's his advice? What's his advice? You know, I had. 15 coaches in my ear trying to sort all out that, that information. And when I went to Japan, uh, a guy named Ralph Bryant, who was a, a legend over there at the time when I went over there, mm-hmm. uh, a couple home run titles, MVP season, left-handed power hitting guy. He had, you know, 35 to 50 home runs every year, but he struck out 225 times a year in 140-game season, but it didn't bother him. He, he didn't care. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. He took me under his wing, and I went over there, and I had to figure it out on my own. And the day that I picked the stamps, and all I worried about was being on time, is when my career took off. I had a couple of good years in Japan. After the second year, they, they released me, so I come back to the States, and I signed with Texas, and then my career just, boom, took off, and I got another seven years in the big leagues when I came back. Because okay. all I worried about was being on time and just stuck with the stamps. And things took off for me. That was that was my game plan. That was the beginning, kind of, of my my game plan. Life. Yeah. Okay. So you you simplify things big time then. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I watched. I watched. Actually, watched. I got benched real early over there, and I started kind of watching some of the Japanese guys and what they do with their hands and uh, some other things. And I came up with a stance, changed my hands a little bit. And all I worried about was being on time and getting that front foot down. Mm. And then how things worked out are okay. unbelievable. I come back and I signed with Texas, and you know he's there in Texas, Rudy Harmeal, mm. who was all about get your hands separated and get that foot down. And that, at the time, that's what I stumbled onto in Japan. And then I get with him, and he just refines it even more. And then you know I had some good years after that. So uh, the stars lined up uh, mentally, physically, and team wise and coach wise, and everything just took off from there. That's interesting. Yeah, it's I've heard that name numerous times. Uh, Rudy Amarillo, the, one of the he's, best he's coaches. Great. He's great. Not only just a great, you know, coach, and he's not over mechanics, but I mean, the guy has your back. 
Yeah. You know, if, if you work hard and you try, I mean, that, that, that guy has your back. You know, I mean, everybody wants a coach like that. So, um, yeah. it, it, was, it was great to have him in my life. Okay. So, with, with the Rangers, you mentioned like Paul Mero, uh, Will Clark was in there, Pudge Rodriguez around, Juan Gonzalez. Yeah. Pudge was there, Juan, Juan Gonzalez was there, <laughs> there, Todd Beal was there, Rusty Greer. I mean, I hit, I was, I was hitting pretty good, and I was hitting eighth in the lineup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I hit, I hit eighth one year. I hit like twenty four homers and drove in eighty something. I was hitting eighth, but I, I was fine with it. You know, hide down there at yeah. the bottom a little bit, but uh, that's how that's how good you know some of those teams were that I got to play on there. And, uh, great guys and uh, great experience. Yeah, that's incredible. And so you and you had a great career. You played for a long time, and then you said you you got into where you were a hitting coach in the minor league side. Is that correct? Yeah, with the Rockies, two thousand thirteen. Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. So what what was that experience like in working with younger hitters? Yeah, it was a great experience. You know, first of all, you get to be on the other side of the door, mm-hmm. and then you know you never know kind of what goes on the other side of the door as a player because you show up, you get dressed, and you go <laughs> play, and you know you're trying to do your thing, you know. I had no idea what was going on behind doors, you know? And then to be on that side of the door was very enlightening. Go, oh, wow. This is what they've been saying about us for all those years. Right. You know? So it was, it was very interesting. And it was, it was, and the hardest part was always spring training. But you know, those, those cut days that come up. Yeah. And everybody, you know, players for sure, you kind of come in and, you know, sometimes they're on, on eggshells a little bit. And then as a coach being on the other side, already knowing that list a little bit, of who they're going to release the next day. That was the hardest part of being a coach uh, those days, you know, and being in those guys' shoes before. So, but the preparation that coaches do, people, you know, people don't realize, and I think a lot of players don't realize until you're put in that situation a lot. I mean, we're one of the first ones there, one of the last ones to leave, you know, mm-hmm. doing all this preparation, all this kind of stuff. And uh, it was great. It, it helped me teach myself a little bit of attention to detail on being a coach and things that I had to, you know, be prepared and, and things I needed to do. So it helped me become a better instructor that I am now just through that detail situation. So I, I learned a lot from it and it's helped me as an instructor, I think. And uh, it's helped me develop patience. And then because you're still dealing with kids. I mean, you, can, you know, yeah. I was uh, a rookie ball and then I was an eight ball. And in my last few years, I was double A. So, you know, the guys are all still young, you know. 20s and, 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 and younger, but they're still kids. So you still have to approach it that way and not assume that they know what's going on, even, even at that age. So it was, it was very enlightening, and I got a lot out of it. Yeah, you make a great point. Like, assuming just because they're in pro ball, like, I think when you maybe talk to high school kids, right, they're, they might have somewhat of an idea of what they're doing in the box. Then you get right. into pro ball, and they may say they have an approach, but they really don't. They're still probably free swinging a little bit. Yeah, right. Were there any, any hitters in particular that you really took to and were able to help develop that's we're, we're seeing now at the higher levels? I mean, I hope I had an impact on, you know, on all of them. Um, you know, I try to keep, you know, treat them all, you know, treat them all the same. Obviously, there's, there's those can't miss guys, you know. Yeah. I was fortunate enough, my first uh, first year coaching, I had Ryan McMahon in, the, in Van Junction, um, you know, uh, Brendan Rogers, you know, mm-hmm. Sam Hilliard. Uh, you know, so I had I had some some really good guys that have been playing in the big leagues, uh, you know, for the Rockies now. So you know, I like to hope that I had a uh, you know impact on them. But you just I just try to guide those guys in the direction they need to go. They're yeah. so talented, and you know, those guys are all better than I was at that age. So I just try to teach them 
things that I learned correctly, things I did wrong, and you try to mm -hmm. point them in that direction and just let them just let them go, just let them go play and, and go do your thing. I, I Brian McMahon is the only guy in the seven years I was coach. I told him when he was in rookie ball, I said, Brian, you're going to play in Vegas. I mean, this guy was, you know, he's six three, six four, out of high school, unbelievable bat speed. Yeah. Move, you know, it, it, it can't miss, you know what I mean? So I just tried to put him at ease, you know, you're going to play in the Vegas. Don't get frustrated now. You're going to play. You just keep working and doing your thing. You're going to, you're going to play in the Vegas. You know what I mean? So just try to positive, just be as positive as I possibly could with all of them and just keep them going in that, in that, in that right direction. Yeah, it's and it's when you're a prospect, right, coming up in the Meyer Leagues and you have a spell, right, where it's like, ah, things are not going well, right? There's, I, I remember a, a, quite a few of those. And then you start thinking like, man, are they going to send me down? Do I even, do I, am I even good enough to be here? Right, a lot yeah. of thoughts can start creeping in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Mr. Negativity, <laughs> he's, he's a bad, it's a bad roommate to have in your head. So yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I, I, I call him my roommate. You know, we, we talk to ourselves all day long and what you have to really learn is that's your roommate. Yeah. And you can kick your roommate out if you want to, but you know, we let him take over sometimes. So I try to pass that on to my kids, but it's, it's up to you on what you think and, and how, how you talk to yourself because how you talk to yourself is huge. You know what I mean? If nobody else is talking positive to you, you better do it yourself because Negative negativity is very powerful, and, and you know, in a humbling game anyway. You know, it's a it's a game of failure. Hitting hitting is failure. It's how you deal with the failure. It makes you that mm -hmm. two hundred hitter or more. So you have to deal with all those type of things. Yeah, and you've been around long enough. Did they start to have? You know, I we kind of played pretty much in the same generation. That you have some ten years ahead of me here, but um, you know, a lot of the coaches I've talked to, like you know, you look at now. There's mental skill coaches everywhere in the in organizations right maybe one or two per organization they visit each team uh did you start to see that when you were in pro ball as a coach yeah i mean well even as a player i mean i was fortunate enough to work with you know ken revisa when i was with the angels um i don't think i took advantage of it enough as a player then but there's still things today that i remember him telling me that i still mm -hmm. use so i know i got something out of it i've maybe not have applied it correctly then yeah. Um, cause it was so new to the game and I was, you know, stubborn and, you know, thought I could do it on my own type, type attitude sometimes. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the Rockies have a really good one. They're, they're out there everywhere and it's, it's, it's as important as anything else. I mean, mm. just going out and getting in the cages is not enough anymore. You know I mean? Working out is just not enough anymore. The, the mental part of the game obviously has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and the way things are going, that's as important as any other coach on a staff, as far as I understand. Because yeah. you got twenty, you got twenty-five, you know, forty guys, you know, in there, all your pitchers and catchers and whatever. I mean, everybody's different mentally and physically, and if you can try. And you're trying to create cultures, right? All these organizations trying to create cultures to do things a certain way, do things a certain way. You got to have your all your guys in the same mental level. Mm -hmm. up. You know, I mean, not just physically and, and, and all that type of stuff, pitchers you know, philosophy and all that. I mean, every guy in that locker room has to be on the same mental level for, the, for that culture to really work. Yeah. You know? And so it, it's a huge part of the game. And, and uh, I still read up on it a little bit now and, and remember things I can. And, uh, you know, even a kid that I go do a lesson, he, he's 10 years old. I introduce him to stuff like that because it's never too early. Uh, I got introduced to it late. So the earlier these guys get introduced to it, then, you know, the better they're going to be when they 
when it comes time to maybe get drafted or they do get drafted and go play professionally. Yeah, absolutely. And it's in it, those things apply, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Ken Revisa fan too, right? Heads up baseball. And I, th- I think Angels was, was that kind of where he pioneered his career? At that I think so. Point? I think that's where he started. I mean, I know, yeah. I know it has to be one because this was, you know, I remember he was in when I first got drafted in '86. He went to a mini cap out in Cal State Fullerton, and Ken was yeah. there. Yeah. So he was, you know, he started in at least '86 for sure. Um, I don't know if that was his first baseball, you know, stuff or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> I got a funny story about for about Ken Rizzo that first week. So I get drafted. You know, in high school, you don't play every day. You know, so we go to this mini camp for a week in Cal State Fullerton University. And we're practicing every day, you know, practice, hitting, throwing, ground balls, the whole nine yards. And like the last day, Ken comes in. And I'm I'm just beat dead tired. You know, I haven't been doing this seven days a week ever before. <laughs> so he has he has all the players lay down on the ground up front of the dugout on the grass, face up, and close our eyes, and we go through this relaxation thing. Yeah. So we relax each, you know, each body part, each limb, you know, kind of relax and breathe and breathe. And breathe. <laughs> the next thing I know. I feel I feel like his leg kicking me on the side. So Ken's standing over me and he's kicking me on the side because I fell asleep laying on the grass. <laughs> so he's waking me up, kicking me, and I'm like, okay, oops. But it worked. You were relaxed, right? Yeah, I was I was definitely <laughs> relaxed. So I, I I fell asleep on him, but uh, so that was like my, my first Ken Revisa. Yeah, yeah. No, I I've heard that was one of his kind of the the relaxation, maybe meditation portion of right. his program if you will is and and i think people still utilize that tool today and i've certainly used Absolutely. that with kids where you can go lay on your bed on the floor wherever and just feel you can squeeze your muscles right mm-hmm. and then okay what does that feel like to let go right and you have to exactly. squeeze your hands tighten your shoulders your neck you know those all those part body parts um so you can start to understand what your how to the kind of the mind body connection right of, of what that looks like and Absolutely. how to interpret in the box yeah right yeah well, that's that's awesome so you 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 had an amazing career um now you are out in the scottsdale area is that right yeah, I'm, in, yeah I'm in phoenix yeah been so out now for you, three years now been out for a few years and so you're are you an instructor now at dbat is that correct yep i'm a dbat doing uh yeah i'm doing lessons and then uh, i'll also do some growth softball on the side a little bit so very with, nice. uh, yeah, with a, a gal that used to work out at uh, D-Bat. She was, a, she was a catcher at U of A. Uh, okay. Had an unbelievable career. So she started her own organization. So she got me to go out. So we got doing 14 U and 16 U girls softball on the side. So Love it. Love yeah. it. Now tell me a little bit about, um, we all have some adversity in our life, right? You you've, you went through uh, probably plenty of adversity up and downs in the, in the major leagues, minor leagues, as a coach. And recently, you you've gone and were diagnosed with some cancer. Yeah. So tell us that story. Well, when I was coaching with the Rockies, you know, the coaches as well as players get physicals every year. So every year, I got my physical just like the players do. And I was 45 when I started working there. I said, I, I so every year, give me a copy of my blood work just because I was, you know, getting mm-hmm. up there a little bit. So I, I kept getting a copy every year, every year, and then the, the very last year, 2019. My, my PSA number, you know, for your prostate was kind of right on the verge, you know, so I kind of took a look at it, whatnot, didn't think much about it because I just you know, had my mind on coaching, going to do it. 
Uh, so they let me go. And then a year later, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to just go to the doctor and get my own physical. Mm. So I go back to the doctor, go to find a doctor, go get my own physical, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my PSA number is like really high. So come back in three weeks. Maybe a glitch or something like that. So I come back in three weeks, it's even higher. He's like, all right, we need to get you to a urologist like yesterday. Okay. So and then it just started taking off. Um, you know, uh, biopsies, scans, bone scans, MRIs, CAT scans, whatnot. And then come to find out, he, he calls me on uh, November of November 20, 2020, November, my doctor calls me and says that prostate cancer. So speed forward a little bit, January 5th, 2021, um, I had surgery to have it removed. That was, that was the best option after going over everything. So uh, I just had my prostate removed in 21 and I've been cancer free ever since. So I just started recovering after that. So it was a fast track to another surreal feeling. You know, yeah. kind of like back to that getting called up for the first time, talking about uh, seeing the world different and having a surreal feeling. You know, have somebody call you and tell you you have cancer. That's uh, that's a eye opener for sure. Yeah. How, how did your, I guess, baseball preparation and mental game help you get through that? <laughs> it went right into baseball mode. It went right into baseball mode. I mean, I remember where I was, and I remember getting the call, and I remember getting off the phone, he, you know, said a lot of stuff after he told me. So I probably forgot some of the things he said, but I just never sit down and I just go, huh, I have cancer. And it was immediately, and it was going that way anyway, so I kind of knew, so this is just validation. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make it any easier. Um, but it was just, I, I, I literally, I was flying to Denver that weekend to see my daughter from Phoenix. And I had a couple hours before I went, so I went to, I walked to a place to eat. And I remember walking out of my place and it was, I saw things. It was like brighter almost. It was like, oh my God, I have cancer. You know what I mean? It was almost almost calming in a way. And that, that sounds kind of, I hope that's not insensitive to sound, but it was calming. I think probably because, okay, now I know. And then my baseball instincts immediately kicked in to, okay, Doc, uh, what do we do? Where do we go from here? When can we do this? You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't cry about it. I didn't ask myself, you know, why me? Mm-hmm. You know, all this kind of stuff. It was just okay. Where, where do we go? I was just going forward, going forward, going forward. What do we, how, what do we do now? What do we do? So, more meetings, and then uh, it got real when they called and said, "Okay, your surgery is January fifth, twenty twenty-one." That's that's when it really hit me. That's mm-hmm. when it kind of that's when it kind of knocked me back. Like, oh God, this is happening. You know, I'm, I'm having surgery. I'm getting this out. You know, after all the meetings and uh, doing my own research online of prostate cancer and all the whatever side effects and this and that, the good and the bad. You know, I'm going through it, and, and then that's when it hit me right in the chest. Oh man, I'm gonna have surgery. This is really happening. Uh, but my instincts just took over. And, okay, what, let's go for it. What's next? What? How do we? You know, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Um, so I think the, the baseball training, I think, just the, the motivation and the the drive of an athlete, I think, helped me get through it better. Um, and, and surgery was, was successful, and uh, you know, recovery was worst thing ever in my entire life physically. I never oh. felt so bad in my entire life. It was awful. Just I no was, energy. Leap. You just, or you just can't. I just couldn't move. I mean, yeah. My stomach. You know, they, it, was, it was a robotic prostatectomy they call. So they make six incisions in my stomach. And they put in all these whatever different tubes, you know, one lighting and one 
this and that, and then expand your stomach above this gas so it can get in there too. And the guy is sitting next to it on a computer screen, uh, like a little toggle, and just takes takes it out robotically. Mm. Um, but it felt like I'd done ten thousand crunches for the first time in my life. Uh, you know, the catheter is no fun, but my body, I never felt so awful in my entire life for at least two months. It, mm. it, 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 it was it was terrible, but necessary. And, you know, luckily I'm, I'm cancer free ever since, but it's not, it's not a recovery that I want anybody to have to go through. So anybody out there who's whatever, 45, 50 or whatever, you know, get your PSA check now. Get it done. Do what you need to do about it. It's not fun. Yeah, I'm in that boat, right? So, 45 now, so and my dad started getting some checkups here. Yeah, keep an eye, keep an eye on that number because you don't, you don't, you don't want to do it. I'm telling you, you don't want. To, I mean, it's it's unfortunate because you know most guys at some point in your life is going to happen just because of it's just it's just a gland that does that as we get older. So you know, just just keep an eye on because I didn't have any symptoms of cancer. I didn't have because when it swells, it puts pressure. And that's why the guys have, you know, problems going to the bathroom. I didn't have any signs or any symptoms whatsoever other than my PSA. So because mine was not swollen, it wasn't putting pressure, it wasn't giving me symptoms. It yeah. was just, it was actually getting hard and it was just cancer. You yeah. know what I mean? So I didn't have the symptoms. So if I hadn't checked, um, because based on my numbers, the you know, doctor said I probably had it in 2018 based on what my numbers were. So two years later, so I probably had it for two years. And then two years later, we kind of definitely find it. So who knows? In, in two more years, it could have could have spread, and you know, I might not be here. And that's that's the scary part about any cancer is it could spread from where it is and gets into your body. You know, that's 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 a bad road too. So yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm glad I went on my own and did it and and, and got it done. Yeah, It changed my life in all positive ways. It changed my demeanor. It changed my patience. It made me think, see things different. Um, I'm not, I don't care about waiting in line anymore. You know, I was impatient growing okay. up. Uh, yeah. You know, things in my life, things how I see things in my life. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't get out of bed at all any day. I don't get out of bed until I tell myself it's going to be a great day. Mm. So it has helped me choose happy and it has helped me learn that I am in control of my emotions and I choose happy. And I, I'm, I'm a better person because of cancer. Did nothing to change it. And then six months ago, a friend of mine who I went to high school with called me and said, "Hey, I got prostate cancer too. Can you help me through this?" So I helped him through as much as I could, you know, support-wise. I was like, "Well, there's there's another reason why I got it. That's right. one reason why I got it right there. You know what I mean? So I can help somebody else. So it it wasn't about me, but I got it for a reason." Mm. It, it changed me as a person. It changed my life in all positive ways. I, you know, I don't wish it to, to happen again, but it, it changed me. It, 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 it's helped me as, a, as an instructor now, as a person, as a father, everything. It's, it, it's literally life-changing experience. Mm. Yeah, yeah you, well, you mentioned the word calming, right? And I, I wonder if that calming effect, and I don't know what your spiritual background is, but if that was kind of a connection there right with the calming and spiritual part of you yeah i wouldn't say i'm religious i am spiritual mm -hmm. and but it did make me more of a believer in something mm -hmm. does that make sense sure. I, I believe uh and over the years the past years since we're moving down here i've gotten into energy and 
when you know when you know when you meet somebody and you don't hit off with somebody, it's not personal love. It's it's the energy of that person. And you start to realize when you're around negative people, get away. You know, you realize positive people. So the more in tune I got with myself, the better. And then the more I was learning that, and then this happened. So it happened at a good time for me to be able to handle it and be able to handle it the way I did. Because if I would have got it 10 years ago, it might, it might have been different. You know what I mean? So it was a perfect storm of my faith and that happening. So it strengthened both. Yeah. That's just, it's almost like the that inner vibration, right? Of kind of what you're exuding, right? And yeah. you got this calming effect. You say you're like, you're more patient around the people, you know, instead just standing in line, right? Just, right. I'm not worried about the things that would set me off earlier. I'm less, I am less stressed now that I had cancer than I was before. Put it that way. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. more free. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard to explain, but I mean, you know, people that, other people have probably had cancer and hopefully can understand that a little bit, but it's somebody that they know, whatever, maybe see some change. But, mm -hmm. uh, well, that's awesome. And that's awesome. You've been able to help someone else, you know, to get through that process and um, maybe somebody that had a complete different approach on maybe, I guess, maybe the freaked out side of it, right? Like mm -hmm. this could end right. my life. All these things could happen. Um, so that's kudos to you for doing that. That's incredible. Well, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on. I, you know, followed you, you know, anytime, like I can get a big leaguer on here. Um, like I said, we didn't know each other prior to this call. Just we played against each other. Um, I love hearing stories about kind of, you know, what you went through and um, your role. Like, how did you get to the big leagues? What were your hurdles? Um, and of course, in life, hurdles continue to happen. Um, yeah. with stuff that we can't control and the circumstances that come into our lives. So I'm glad you're still in, in the game, uh, helping out yeah, both boys cool. and girls on the in Arizona. How can, if someone's out in the Scottsdale area, how can they reach out to you if they're looking for a potential hitting instructor? They can go to, uh, I'm at the DBAT Scottsdale. There's, there's, there's kind of four of them in the, in the area. There's one in Mesa and Peoria and Avondale or Avondale, however you want to say it. Yeah. Uh, so they go to they go to they can go to dbatscottsdale.com or you know whatever and they can they can pull me up there or pull up bios and whatever they can schedule lessons online um and they can get my my email on there and email me if they want to so uh yeah anybody who's in scottsdale come out to scott it's, we're right over by literally across the street from talking stick field or in the okay. uh, yeah. talking stick talking stick pavilion yeah the 101 in uh, indian bend so right by Salt River Field. So, uh, yeah, look me up. Awesome. That's awesome. Yes, yeah, so if you guys are in the area, check check Lee yeah. out. Go get some uh, hitting advice from him. And, um, I mean, there's something different about working with an instructor that has actually been there, done that, right? And um, and I'm sure it's probably changed you, this whole this whole process, with the patience of working with people, would you say? And, oh, and, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even coaching with the Rockies help that. But, yeah, it's not <laughs> I, I, I want to get to know the kid to start with, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, I try to keep talk about life a little bit, not just, hey, Johnny, nice to meet you, let's, you know, get into the mechanics out of it. You know what I mean? So just try to get their trust and you have fun and uh, try to get them to come back and keep loving the game. I just want them to love the game and come back and not make it, make it less and feel like it's an hour of work mm. or it's 
mature, you know what I mean? So I want them to, you know, keep coming back and as, as things progress and get a little more serious or whatever. But yeah, I just try to have fun with the kids and, and so they have fun. It's a fun game. You yeah. have to be fun, have fun with it. You know, the 10 year old shouldn't be worried about playing in the big leagues right now. So just go have some fun, hit the ball. Yeah. Just enjoy the process, be, yeah. be here now, play the game. Exactly. Very cool. Well, Lee, I appreciate you, man. Great meeting you. I'll hit you up when I'm out in Vegas, too. Yeah, great story. Maybe play some golf out here. We got a lot of courses like Scottsdale in Arizona. Absolutely. So, I'll film yeah. that Awesome, man. We'll keep in touch and best of Will luck to you in, in the Thank rest you. of the Thanks, right. Jen. I appreciate it. All right. Hey, what's up, guys? Chad Hermanson here, Mental Edge Training Coach. Today, I'll be talking to Lee Stevens. Lee Stevens was a first-round pick in 1986 with the Angels out of Kansas. Had an amazing career in the big leagues, played for a couple different teams. We're going to talk about his story, his career, how he got called up to the big leagues, his hitting philosophy as he was a hitting coach, and just kind of the mental part of the aspect of hitting and where he was able to also, after his playing career, he was diagnosed with some cancer and how he has battled through that and how baseball and the mental game help him get through that. So enjoy this conversation with Lee Stevens.